The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I'm kind of homesick for a country Tonight's um, one of those messages that's hard for me to do. Uh, There's certain things God moves me to do that I go, okay, I told you I'd do anything and everything you want me to do, uh, but it's not easy to, some of the parts of Scripture are tough. And I know some people through the years have told me that they don't really read the Old Testament. They just read the New Testament. And for a new believer, now I, I take a new believer, I said in the young adult Sunday school class this morning, you wouldn't want to take a new believer and necessarily put them in Genesis. They're going to hit, I think it is three genealogies before they leave the book. And if that doesn't get them, uh, there, there's, some, there's some down the road that will get them. And names are not used to pronouncing. And a lot of people through the years, I've said, talked about the Bible and them reading the Bible. And they've said, well, I tried to preach and I couldn't do it. I just, I, got, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't figure out the names, and it was just confusing. And I, That's because it started in Genesis. The Bible's not like a normal book. Uh, the theme of the Bible is redemption. And the person of redemption is the main character. That's Jesus Christ. The, 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 the main character of the Bible is Jesus Christ. As it was prophesied from chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis and fulfilled, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give the fulfillment of that. So I usually start a new Christian off in the book of John. I, uh, John gives an overview of Jesus' life and not one parable in the book of John. Parables sometimes can be confusing to people. They take them the wrong way if they don't understand how to interpret a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. If they, don't, if they try to interpret every little detail of the parable, they can be led astray on that and in trouble. But a discourse is what you find. You find discourses. I think there are seven major discourses in the book of John. Discourses are teaching on truth. Like Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's a discourse. I am the door. That's a discourse. And so on the bread of life, that's a discourse. On the resurrection and the life, that's a discourse. And so he gives those discourses, those teachings in the gospel of John. 92% of all John is unique to John. And so you, you get the, the worldview, if I want to put it that way, of Jesus Christ in the book of John. And he, and he takes you to the, Jesus, the Son of God. In the very, very beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, the same as in the beginning with, with God. As you finish 11 verses there, you know it's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Jehovah God of the Old Testament. Now, there is some difference, you may say, between the Father the Son and the Holy Ghost, absolutely. But yet they're one in essence. And God, I always say, God's manifested himself in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He has. And so 
we go to the book of John to find out really who Jesus is. I love the, I love the part in the 8th chapter where it says, Before Abraham was, I am. They all took up stones to stone him and said he couldn't be that old. He's, he's yet maybe not even 50. He must have looked old, by the way. Jesus was actually 33. But they said he's not yet even 50. Well, that's usually not the way to guess somebody. Uh, by the way, this isn't even on a subject, but we, all these movies make Jesus out to be a fairly good-looking guy and fairly well-built. Uh, Jesus was, his ribs showed, he was, he was uh, I'm going to try to think of the right word here, but he was looked undernourished. There was nothing in him that would, we would desire. He, he, did, he was not handsome. In fact, if you read Isaiah 53, there was nothing in Jesus that would attract you to him. You understand the way God does stuff. I hope you don't miss God looking for the beauty. Uh, because sometimes God will bring you himself. He'll come, like John the Baptist was a wild man. He was a wild man. He was just an absolute wild man. That's why he was called the Baptist. And so and he came, in, he came uh, eating honey and wild locusts. He came dressing camel's uh, hair and probably had a wild-looking hair and, and never shaved. And, and, and he preached, and, whoa, they said, that man's crazy. He's crazy. Jesus comes shaving and, and eating and drinking with him. And they said, oh, he eats with sinners. He's a glutton and a wine-bibber. So no matter how truth was presented to them, they rejected it. They rejected it the way Jesus presented it to them. They rejected it the way John the Baptist was guided to present it to them. So be careful how you dress it up. Don't dress truth up and box it too much. God will come to you in strange ways, uh, oftentimes. In the book of Leviticus, we have Genesis, of course, written, uh, covering about the first 1,878 years or so, actually a little bit more than that, 2,500 years. And you have, uh, you, you, you have the wilderness water where they leave Egypt. That's Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Numbers is, is, is Moses' logbook. It's his log book. He basically, on the wilderness wandering through the Holy Spirit, takes a log of what went on. That's the book of Numbers. Leviticus has to do with the rule of the Levites, the purity of God's people. God wants a people different than the rest of the world. And boy, I'll tell you, early in your Christian life, get the idea that God does not want you to be like those folks. I don't care. Hollywood, otherwise known as Hollywood, he does not want you to be like those folks. Girls, do not emulate those girls. Those girls are going to split hell wide open and are presently, even at this moment, under the very wrath of God. You don't want to smell like them, look like them, act like them. You don't want to be like them. One of the major messages of the Old Testament, if you don't know anything, is do not incorporate what the heathen are doing into what you're doing. Because as children of God, we're separated away and out of the world. Ye are not of the world. Love not the world. But it's so easy being in it, walking in it, smelling it, you know, everything to want to have it influence us. And you know, every one of us were saved out of the world. Every one of us had 100% of the world in us. Every, I'm talking about philosophy. I'm talking about the way they do things. That way it was 100% world. We got born again of the Spirit of God when we trusted Christ our Savior, repented of our sins, realized He was the only way to heaven, and we said yes to Jesus. That was the beginning of a journey, separating ourselves. God is separating Himself of people. He's taking them out of the world and bringing Him and making them in His image. Um, the same Jesus I preached about this morning, 
As I was reading down through the book of Leviticus, there's a couple places. Chapter 8, I'm going to settle in two places tonight. Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. Now, I'm going to try to walk around this subject without um, embarrassing you folks. But remember, I taught in the young adult class, the Bible is G-rated. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible I don't think you can, you, you, shouldn't, you should be able to read the Bible in any group of people. You agree with that? Is there anything in the Bible that's bad that shouldn't be read among other people? Well, I can tell you right now, I can read through chapter 18 and chapter 20 and embarrass a lot of you folks. Because he gets very, very specific in his descriptions in a way that you and I don't normally talk like that. We don't discuss the things that he mentioned. Even when my dad and mom talked to me about, and they didn't have to really talk to me about the birds and the bees. I was raised on a little farm. And when you've been raised on a little farm, you, nobody has to come talk to you and tell you how things duplicate. But uh, nevertheless, the stuff that's in Leviticus 18, I didn't even know went on among people. It was stuff that I didn't know went on. And I, I think that's good to be naive like that, by the way. The only people that may not be naive about it are those folks who have viewed pornography. Those people who have viewed pornography, they do all the stuff he's mentioning here and practice it. But if we, the, the message of, of the 18th chapter and the 20th chapter of Leviticus is to his people, to keep them from incurring his wrath like the heathen are, in, by the way, are incurring right this moment. They're children of disobedience. They are under, at this moment, the wrath of God right now. Now you say, well, they don't look like it. it don't, isn't, as soon as they close their eyes in death, they stand eventually before Jesus Christ as the judge of the living and the dead, eventually be cast in the lake of fire, uh, suffering the full wrath of God. You say, I don't like that teaching. Doesn't make any difference what you like. You don't make the rules. God Almighty that made you has given you breath and made your retina. He makes the rules. And the sooner we find that out, of course, the better it is for us, for sure. Well, what I find is that if people mix with the abominations, there's 21 abominations listed in the Bible that I found. There may be more, but there's 21 that I found. If the if 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 his if the if his children, which are were called out by his name and saved by his grace through faith, begin to mix back with these things that the world are doing, these abominations, God Himself can come to abhor you. When the world, even in their state, out from under salvation per se, when they mix, you say, is there such a thing as better sinners and worse sinners? Absolutely so. There are degrees of sin, folks. There are certain degrees that people go to in such darkness that God himself will wipe them out. There are no more Babylonians because they crossed that line. There are no more Medes and Persians because they crossed that line. There are no more Greek Empire because they crossed that line. There are no more Roman Empire because they crossed that line. And there will be no more United States of America if we cross that line. God is not a respecter of persons. I hope you understand who God is and expect that he doesn't favor one above another necessarily. 
And if you cross the line and they cross the line, they receive the punishment, you receive that punishment. Sometimes the children of Israel thought they were exempt from that. That's how they got carried off into Babylon. That's how they got carried off by Assyria. They thought somehow they were exempt. The nations that they replaced, those seven nations they replaced, which were doing these abominations, uh, which he says clearly these people were doing these things, and that's why I abhorred them, and that's why I came in with you people, and I told you to kill everything that had breath. That meant all of their animals as well as all of them. That is some serious stuff. Wow. Wow. That's what it says. I looked the word abhor up. It means to be disgusted at, to be grieved at, to loathe, or to be vexed at. Wow. I know we're abhorred, to try to give you the meaning more literally. I'm I'm abhorred certain things. Like the smell of rotten eggs. I have certain things that just really... <laughs> rotten eggs bothers me. I went to somebody's house that had real strong well water with sulfur. Now, sulfur smells like good old-fashioned rotten eggs. And I, had, I stayed with them and took a shower in that thing. I felt worse getting out of the shower than I did getting in the shower. I mean, I felt like I had just bathed in filth. But actually, sulfur is antibacterial. It's not a bad thing. And uh, the one kid that they had in their house, which had a, a terminal liver disease, uh, l- because he drank that sulfur water, it's the only thing they could figure, he, he lived way past anybody that ever had that disease of the liver. And he was, they looked at him like a guinea pig. They had him go all over the place. Doctors wanted to look at him, find out what was going on. How in the world could he be alive? And the only thing they could attribute it to was the sulfur water. And I believe that or take it to the bank, do whatever you like with it. But that's the way it is. <clears throat> the, spell, the smell of spoiled milk. How many have, I don't know about you at our house stuff, we don't eat the stuff we buy. We let it go bad. I mean, I'll get open the milk. Oh, brother. Now, my wife can't smell a skunk if it was right next to her. That's been good for our marriage. My wife really has no sense, almost, almost no sense of smell. She does have a sense of smell, but you got to get real serious to have her notice anything. That has created harmony and peace in our home. And uh, we have, I can, I don't even, I mean, I bathe every day, but I don't have to. Some abomination to me, something I abhor, is, is the sight and smell of, of, of blood. I've been in Dr. Gillespie's office sometimes when they've done some surgery on those dogs and animals, and the smell of that bothers me. There's an arid smell of the blood. There's a acidy kind of a arid. It doesn't get to me right away, but eventually it begins to get to me, and you can get to where you abhor that, and it becomes repulsing. Uh, the, sight and, uh, the sight and sound of mangled bodies often will cause people, I've been to some automobile accidents, people been in a, had their head in the window in the glass and bleeding down. I mean, it's just, I've had to hold a, broke, a guy's broken neck and just do some crazy things. I've been at the site of some strange head-on accidents, awful things, and that makes you want to abhor. You know, you have to kind of like, uh, you want to kind of throw up, and then, but you got to stay there. I mean, you can't leave the guy. Um, contact with abuses, abuses of life bother me, and I abhor that. Some 
Um, it could be a starving children and see those little kids without hope, without food, and things can you can abhor those things. You have some idea of the aversive reaction of the word abhor. So when God says that if you do these things, he'll abhor you, understand how serious this is. The creator of all that is, you do not want to abhor you. In Psalm chapter 10, you don't have to turn it, let me read this. It says, For the wicked boasteth his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous, whom the Lord abhorreth. God abhors covetousness. Now, the world makes a show about it. On TV, puts it on TV about being covered. Some 23 times in the New Testament alone, it talks about the sin of covetousness. In fact, the Pharisees' sin, one of them, there was two major sins they had, one of them was they were covetous. They loved the money. They loved the money, the power of the money, the thrill of the money, the, they, the, what it does for you. They, they lived for the money. It was their God. And, of course, that is a form of idolatry, which the Bible says in Colossians 3, 5, it says, Mortify, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, and order affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. And this is what's interesting about that. It says, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry because it replaces God. If you, the money you have, if you are, if you are getting secure feelings in your life because you got some money, it can be covetous because you're replacing God. He's the one that should give you your security. There's no security. If you got $5 million, $10 million, $15 million, I knew a guy in this church at one time lost $9 million within a few days. Amen? I mean, you... There's no security in the bank. There's no security in the stock market. There's no security in the house prices. Don't we know that? About 206. Uh, there's no security in anything in this world. Don't put your, don't, the, the things that give you peace ought to be God. The things that give you rest ought to be God. Now, there's nothing wrong with saving money. I think a prudent man should do that. You should have some things saved up for a stormy day and, uh, the Bible says, righteous man saves up for his children's children and all that stuff. There's, that's all good. That's all fine. But don't make that your trust. Because then you are committing idolatry, which is a major sin. In fact, it's one that God abhors. It's one that God abhors. Don't do it. Secondly, God abhors the bloody and deceitful man. Psalm 5, 6 says, Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasingly or falsely. The Lord abhor, will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. I think that's self-explanatory. Thirdly, the God abhors the idol worshiper. Psalm 78, 58 says, For they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel. It was studied in our young adult class that uh, Israel finally got rid of their idolatry in the 70-year captivity at Babylon. I don't know what went on in that 70 years, but up to that point, Israel always mixed in with the heathen, took their idols, 
brought them in and began to worship them. God had a series of judging them and judging them and revival and judging, revival and judging, revival and judging. Until finally the Babylonians came in and the last time they came into Jerusalem was 586 B.C. Took all of them people, the, the, the ones that were left, burnt the city down, destroyed the temple, tore the walls down, and he took it to them. The, the Bible said Israel was cleansed of their idolatry. Something snapped in the minds of the Israelites, and they haven't had any trouble with idolatry since then, but boy, they sure did. And I know that's not a big sin necessarily. Or is it? Well, that's my wife and I went over to Israel. We went to Greek Orthodox churches. When you go to Greek Orthodox church, they're full of idols, full of idols. I know even in Catholic churches, they go up and they'll kiss. I know even in Ireland, they kiss, they, aye, they kiss the Blarney Stone. Don't kiss the Blarney Stone. I'm not going to ask you whether you have or not, but don't kiss the Blarney Stone. Pastor McKinney said he did. He was Irish. He said, what would I be if I wasn't Irish? I'd be ashamed of myself. That's, he'd say that over and over again. How did I remember it? Because it went right in between right there. I love the brother. Psalm 106 says, but we were mingled, but we're, but we're mingled. Talking about children of Israel, we're mingled among the heathen. There it is. Learn their works. There it is. And they served their idols and were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. They shed innocent blood. That's abortion. Even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Cana, and the land was polluted with the blood, and they were defiled with their own works, and went a whoring with their own inventions. They thought of stuff even God hadn't thought of. Therefore, in, in Psalm 106, 40, Therefore was a wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. Got to abort his own people. Wow. We don't want to, we don't want to go out there and live the way we think we ought to live. We want to, we want to conform to the word of God. That's why I read chapter 18 real closely. I read chapter 20. I encourage you to go home and read it. I'm not going to read it caref carefully at all tonight in this mixed crowd. Even though I believe the Bible is G-rated, I want you to go home and read it. Uh, you need to read that, and you need to carefully look at that. And you can say, and you read down through those sins, you say, well, does anybody do that? Are you kidding me? Don't put your head in the sand. It's everywhere. Immorality. God abhors immorality. In, in, in Proverbs 22, 14, it says, The mouth of a strange woman is a deep pit. He that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. When I hear of a man falling into immorality with a woman... I figure before that happened, he had to be lusting. Before that happened, he had to be lusting in his heart. He was lusting in his heart. God convicted him. Don't do it. He got right. He lusted in his heart again. He got convicted by the Holy Spirit. He got right. He lusted in his heart again. He got convicted of the Holy Spirit. He got right. I don't know how long the process goes on, but eventually God says, if you want it that bad, I'm going to give it to you. And when God says you're going to get some, you're going to get it. You've got to understand, it's God giving you to the strange woman is the judgment. Hello? It's that, it's that buxom blonde 
thinking that you're the sweetest thing she's ever seen. That's the judgment. Glory to God. I asked God to keep me for all these years. I've asked God, keep me from this strange woman. But I can't pray that if secretly in my heart I desire her. Because God reads the intents and thoughts of your heart. If in your heart you desire immorality, God will say, well, at first he'll be merciful. At first he'll, 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 uh, he'll forgive you and try to convict you of it. But if you just keep stubbornly going on in that, he's eventually, you people that are opening your computers and looking, looking at those girls, you know how God's going to judge you? He's going to give you one. Ooh, she's going to take you for a wild ride. And ooh, the pain that you're going to incur from her. She's going to gut you. I always get a kick out of, and I don't mean a kick and mean ha-ha, out of a guy that leaves his wife and he marries, or he commits adultery with another married woman that left her husband. Now think about this. You got a guy that's not loyal to his wife that leaves his loyal wife, and you got a, a woman that leaves her loyal husband and goes with his disloyal man. Two disloyal people find each other. It's judgment. Because pretty soon, guess what's going to happen? The disloyal one who's now broken through the wall is going to easily find another girl and be disloyal to her. And the disloyal woman who's already broken through that barrier and become fairly comfortable with that practice now could very easily be disloyal to him. It's insanity. And, and God's people said, if you don't say amen, this may go on for hours. Immorality has its own sin. But if you read down through Leviticus 20, you start seeing, oh man, he talks about the false gods there in, in verses 1 through 5. Verse 6, he talks about seeking familiar spirits. He abhors people for that. Seeking wizards and witches. A necromant, don't read your horoscope. Don't even read it. <clears throat> Do not read it. Read your Bibles. It says in verse 9, Whosoever curses his father or mother. The Bible has a special place for people who dishonor their parents. You cannot teach your children enough, hard enough or deep enough to honor their mom and dad. It is the fifth commandment. It is the first commandment with promise. He promises he'll prosper you if you honor him, but you've got to flip that. If you don't honor him, what's the opposite of prosperity? Judgment, right? So you say, well, my mom and dad are this, or my mom and dad. Don't make any difference what your mom and dad are. God said you were going to be birthed through them, and that was his choice, not yours. And he says, honor the people I picked you to be birthed through. It has nothing to do with performance. It has to do with his choice on who are you to be birthed through. Well, my, my dad's a drunkard. Honor him. My mom's a whore. Honor her. That don't mean you approve of what they do. It doesn't mean you're, you're for what they do. It just means you do not curse them. You do not dishonor them or disrespect them. It's very important. You read it yourself, verse 9, chapter 20. You see what God says about it. Um, bias, oh, it's so important. We try to, by the way, you send your kid to our school. We try to teach him this kind of stuff. Verse 10, chapter 20. Talks about adultery with, an, with a, another man's wife being an abomination to God. All these are an abomination to God. All of these, if you do them, eventually God will abhor you. 
immorality with your father's wife, verse 11, immorality with your daughter-in-law, verse 12, immorality with the same sex, verse 13, immorality with a wife and her mother, immorality with an animal, verse 15 and 16, immorality uh, with sisters, uh, in in verse 17, immorality with a uh, woman in her time, in verse 18, immorality with a mother's sister or near kin, verse 19, immorality with an uncle's wife, verse 20, immorality with a brother's wife, verse 21. Oh, Brother Bill, that's not going on. It was going on so much, and it was so deep, that God took those seven nations and judged them. And he said the chil- his children, as you know, ended up doing things worse than the heathen that they displaced. I'm going to just give you a kind of a synopsis here. Verse 24 of chapter 18, verse 27, and uh, verse 25 and 28. Let me just read some of the part. It says, Defile not yourselves in any of these things. And there's more than what I read. For in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. In verse 27 to 18 it says, For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. This is what I want to get at. The results of these sins on the place that people live. In verse 23 of chapter 20, it says, And you shall not walk in the manners of the nation, which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things before I, therefore I abhorred them. That's the title of the message, by the way. Therefore, I abhor them in in verse 23 of chapter 20. Then he goes on to say in verse 25, the land is defiled of chapter 18, going back to 18. The land is defiled, therefore I visit the iniquity thereupon them. And the land itself vomiteth out its inhabitants. That's a word picture. In verse 28, the land spew, that the land, don't do these things, that the land spew not you out also which when ye defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. In chapter 20, verse 22 and 23, You shall therefore keep all my statutes, all my judgments, to do them that the land whither I bring you to dwell therein, spew you not out. I'm going somewhere with this. Verse 23 says, You shall not walk in the manners of the nations, which I cast out before you. They committed all these things, Therefore, I abhor them. Now, in light of the Supreme Court decision, in light of what's been coming in our country, in light of the massive push to homosexuality, but not just homosexuality, immorality of everything that's named in chapter 18 and chapter 20 and more that they've invented, is going on in America in a bigger and bigger way. The, the, there, is a, there is a momentum that they have picked up in the last 10, 15 years, and the momentum gets larger and gets larger and be wider spread. You almost cannot watch a TV show. And I've only got, I think, eight channels. Maybe I got 10, four of them are Spanish. I like watching the Spanish channels. My wife got on me the other night again. I was watching a Spanish channel. I said, she said, why are you doing this? I said, they don't cuss. They don't talk about sex. 
She said, they are. But I said, I don't know what they're saying. And what they were doing visually was not bad. It was just a deal. I said, it's a clean thing to me. And I'm so dumb, I cannot learn Spanish. But do you think God would do this to these people and he would not do it to us? Remember, God's not a respecter person. The nature of God. He don't respect one above the other. So do you think God would do this to the... These are heathen nations, by the way. These seven heathen nations that they were displaced by the children of Israel. And then, as we know the history, because we're in 2015, we look back on the children of Israel. They copied these things. Are these, these sins, these sins, listen, in 18 and 20, are infectious. They say that, and that some of that flu that came out in the last couple of years, that is so infectious that if one person has it on a plane, in our flight, everybody's going to get it. Now, that has got to be contagious, amen? That's got to be contagious. But these things are contagious. When they start moving, they start infecting and moving and, and duplicating. And eventually, it took. God's people, the chosen people of Israel, and saturated them to the place God said, I abhor mine inheritance. I, I've got to, I'm going to cast them out of my sight. And he brought the most wicked of the nations of the world to do it. Does it make sense that the Arabs... The Islamics almost can do no wrong in America. That they're being appointed to places of leadership. We would appoint an Islamic, a Muslim, to homeland security after 911? Nobody would do that. Nobody in his right mind would do that. But God would. If he's going to teach you what he says is true. And what he says is true. Now, they may play this four or five years down the road. And they may say, that old man was a prophet. He's already told you. All you got to get in here is read it. It's all here. He says, this is the way I'm going to deal with you if you do this. Everybody's in the same book. Everybody's in the same water. We're all swimming in the same pool. You, 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 live, you live for me. You love me. You separate from these things. You trust me. I'll bless you to the thousandth generation. Nobody can touch you. No enemy will stand before you. Nothing can hurt you. You leave me. You don't believe me. Because all unbelief is all of the basis of all sin from the garden to today is unbelief. You don't believe God, you believe yourself, you believe the world, you believe the devil, whatever. And he says, eventually, you're going to come to a place where I'm going to take the worst of the heathen, and I'm going to cause them to rule over you. I believe with all my heart the president we have in office today is part of that. It's part of that. 
God already is doing it right in front of us. People said to me, when do you think the United States is going to be judged? I know what they're saying. What they're basically saying is wiped out. I don't know when that's going to happen. But I do know we're already under judgment. Nothing would surprise me with the immorality and the wickedness that's abounding out there. No, 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 no. Not even so much among the heathen. Among the Christians. Those who call themselves Christians. We have sin going on among us that should not even be once named among us. We have things going on among Christians that should not even be once named among us, folks. There's probably not anybody in this room been saved very long hasn't known some pastor to commit adultery in some church or some deacon or some church leader. Years ago, I didn't know any. You understand what I'm saying? When I, was, when I was in my teens, I knew not one deacon, and anybody I'd even heard of had, had fallen into immorality, or one pastor. It wasn't until I was almost 30 years old that I started hearing that. It is exhilarating. It's exhilarating. I wouldn't be surprised of chemical poisoning, viral poisoning, nuclear disaster. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if the land just simply became sick of us. And we got somehow spewed out. You say, Brother Bill, that is negative. It's just biblical. You can hide your, you can do this positive thing, positive image all you want. You, you can positive image, you can put pictures of positive things on your refrigerator. You, you, can, you can wear positive clothes and, and say positive lines. But I'm going to tell you this, there is a place, there's a place for reality in a Christian's life that you have to face these things as this is our God, and He is just and fair and will do the right thing. But it is not the right thing for Him to let this stuff go on. It's not the right thing. And when God comes in to stop it, it's a good thing that God is doing. But brother, you and I, how can we slow this thing down? Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus when nobody sees you. Go home and live for Jesus. Live for Jesus out in Miami and, and uh, wherever you were last weekend. Live for Jesus. That's not easy over there. Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus when nobody can see you. Live for Jesus. Do the right thing when God, by the way, you're fooling yourself anyways if you think you're somehow going to hide it from God. He is right here, right here. He knows the thoughts of my heart. You know what my biggest concern in my life is? The thoughts of my heart. I'm not as concerned with my actions, though I'm sure I should be more. I'm more concerned with the thoughts. Let the thoughts of my heart, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let these things in my head be right. It's like the old count that says, watch your pennies. You won't have to worry about your dollars. Watch what you think, and you probably won't have to worry too much about your actions. Keep them where they ought to be. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Now, 
I'm for loving people. Man, I'm for loving sinners. You know, all that we do here is about loving sinners and about giving them the gospel. But never are we to come to a place where we pick their stuff up and bring it in here. Never are we to approve tacitly or overtly in what they're doing. Never, just because it's socially correct, are we going to approve same-sex marriages. No! Well, that'll be cruel, Brother Bill. It may be cruel to them, but it's, it's, if it's, it's good to God. Abhor that which is evil. That's what the Bible said. By the way, New Testament, Romans 12, 9. Abhor that which is evil. Now, go home. Your assignment, your assignment is to go home and read Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20. Carefully. If you're married, do it for your night devotions. And read it and say, God, spare us from those sins. Spare us from those sins. Spare our children from those sins. Spare our grandchildren from those sins. Because those are the sins that the devil wants you to commit because he knows this book better than you do. And he knows if he can get you to violate God, he'll get God to judge you. He won't have to. He, the devil don't judge anybody. All the devil does is get you to do something that causes God's righteousness and to judge you. And then he says back, oh, my mother used to say this so well, he just sits back and laughs as you're getting whipped because you knew better. That's right. May God spare us. It's good Bible. We need to stay frosty, folks. We live in exciting times. But what, can, what will it take to save us? Well, if 10 people save Sodom and Gomorrah, how big was Sodom and Gomorrah? A lot of, lot of speculation on that. I don't, know what, I don't know what you guys think, but I think Sodom and Gomorrah was somewhere probably around maybe 100,000 people. May not have been that big, maybe 50,000. But 10 people. One time a guy did some figuring in the United States, about 350 million people. They figured if there was 40,000 Christians, it'd save America. 40,000 people that God considered righteous. And, and he would save us for 40,000. So there's hope. I had some young lady tell me, I fear for my, my unborn babies. And I'm, I'm wondering, you guys are having babies. You guys are having babies. Keep having babies now. Don't quit having babies because of this preaching. Because you know what? Once many think, well, it's good in the world. Well, if there's a God, he's going to take care of us, amen? And there is a God. And we can be light in the middle of darkness. I'm preparing a sermon. The worse the place, the better the grace. The darker the night, the brighter the light. We're sin about it. It's taken from Romans 5.20. We're sin about it. There did grace much more abound. And so we're living an opportunity here to be lights to these heathen out there that are just stumbling over themselves into darkness. Father, help us tonight. Give us wisdom from above. May, Lord God, these words sink deeply, deeply in our spirits. And may we understand that this is true. And the truth that the world stood upon, and the universal truth. We pray, God, that you just save us from those abominations that thou hast mentioned in thy word. Tonight, only going over five of them, but Father, help us, save us. There may be some in this room that are you're playing on the edge of the thing. You, you think you're going to get away. You think you're going to be the one to do both, but you're not. You won't even know when God comes to judge you. It'll be over. 
Don't do it. Don't tempt the Lord. Do not tempt Him. Come to Him and say, God, help me. Purify me. Save me. God, help us tonight. Maybe there will be some here without Christ or Savior. You don't know if you died, you go to heaven. Why don't you come let us show you the gospel. The best news I ever found. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Oh